This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today I'm pretty excited because we've got our good friend and commercial real estate broker, Corey Wright, on the program. That's right. Corey Wright, founder of William Wright Commercial Real Estate Services. This is a great conversation. He's back. Uh, fan favorite. People were People actually reached out and asked what's going on in the commercial real estate because we had him on... What was that, a year or two ago? It was, yeah. The market had a different feel last time we talked to Corey Wright. It did. And we kind of, we, we did our commercial real estate 101 last time. And now this is uh, 102. This is kind of 102 or 201, maybe. This is, is your second year is course. Is it 201? Yeah, it's 201. Is that, is that when, when is 102? Yeah, I don't even, <laughs> <Is> that, <laughs> that's is an that entirely the, different course. Is that? That's <laughs> <laughs> just, just an entirely different is that, university course. Is that know? how that works? Yeah. Oh, yeah, this man. is 201. So we're back. We're back with Corey for two. I should have just went straight from high school into real estate. <laughs> oh, no, I, no, no, I thought you were going to say into graduate school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I skipped my undergrad. Uh, anyways, it's a great program. We really appreciate Corey taking the time. And today we actually cover a ton of useful information about the commercial real estate market. That's for sure. He talks about opportunities. And guess what? Like, turns out you can actually afford commercial real estate. If you're just a regular ma and pa type investor. Yeah, you know what? And it, that was kind of the most exciting thing about this is Corey talks about commercial real estate, what's going on in the market, how the market is, uh, what's exciting about downtown. But that's kind of 
big players. Uh, that's right. a big players market, right? Yeah. And then he goes and talks about where he'd buy if he was looking for you know his first commercial real estate investment, and uh, and the price points are surprisingly competitive. yeah yeah it's uh, it's exciting. So stay tuned for that for sure. Yeah, and of course we all we cover like we did last time too the interplay between the commercial and residential markets. Some of what we talk about actually has huge implications for the residential market. Yeah, absolutely. Specifically thinking of people that are moving into the downtown area, what's happening with uh, office space in downtown. Lots of exciting things that we cover in this conversation. No kidding. But before we get to our conversation with Corey, Matt, you just got off a flight from Phoenix, Arizona. Welcome that's, home. That's right. I, this year, I've already been on two investment-type tours uh, up to Fort St. John and uh, and down to Phoenix this last weekend. I'm not sure which was warmer. Phoenix is uh, having the worst February on record, of course, just really? in time for my uh, excursion. Yeah. But uh, no, it was good. Interesting city. Really, really interesting city, actually. Did, it, uh, did you go to Tombstone? Was I did it? not. I did not. I did go to a ghost town, though. Um, Which one? Mesa? <laughs> no? <laughs> too I'm far. Too far. We, we all know kidding. some snowbirds uh, down yeah, in yeah, Mesa. Yeah. So I'm, I'm we kid. We, we kid. kid. Snowbirds. <laughs> we kid. Uh, but yeah, it, it sounds like it was a good trip. <laughs> it was a good trip. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, uh, did, did your Smith and Wesson freeze? You know what? This is the thing. Uh, I watched two, three Westerns down there. I'm thinking yeah. on a new Western kick. You can't drive through... Arizona, look at all the all the cactuses. Uh, ca- it's cacti, cacti. All the cacti, yeah. Right, right. Or no, just cacti. Yeah, it's cacti. I'm just thinking out loud here, but uh, Unforgiven may be the best Western of all time. Yeah, 310 to Yuma, Wild Bunch. Uh, but you know what? <laughs> 310 to Yuma is in, that, is in the top five? Well, I don't know. I love that movie. Regardless, we are going to Cactus Club. We're not sure which one, but it's, it's one of the cacti clubs. <laughs> Did I use that correctly? In any event, I like Westerns. Right. right, right. (laughs) Anyways, let's get to our interview with Corey Wright from William Wright Commercial Real Estate Services. Enjoy, guys. Enjoy. Okay, so we're back with Corey Wright from William Wright Commercial Real Estate Services, past guest, fan favorite. How you doing, Corey? Great. Thank you so much for having me back. Yeah, thanks for taking the time today, Corey. For you guys, anything. Perfect. So, Corey, can you maybe start by uh, telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So, uh, I'm the managing broker with a company called William Wright Commercial Real Estate Services. We have three offices uh, throughout the Lower Mainland. We have a, a great team we've managed to assemble over the past couple of years. And uh, we focus on all asset classes in the uh, commercial world, uh, mainly in the Lower Mainland, but also expansion plans uh, for both Kelowna and Victoria that are kind of uh, starting to take shape. Wow. And and when did when did the brokerage start? Because you founded the brokerage we, as well. Yeah, I started the brokerage. It would have been just over five years ago now. And it is growing like gangbusters. It has been. Yeah. Even yeah. since we talked to you last. Yeah, and it's <laughs> sort of our concept has sort of been a little bit reversed to what you find in the commercial real estate world. Typically, you see... You mean tens, if not hundreds of brokers working out of one downtown Vancouver office trying to service the whole lower mainland. And we kind of thought take more of a local approach. So instead of having one large office in Vancouver, we have sort of boutique style offices in various marketplaces. That way we can sort of providing local knowledge, local experience and stuff like that to the guys out there. Right on. Well, uh, I remember last time we had you on, the commercial market was was going crazy. Yep. Uh, how's the commercial market right now? Uh, better than the residential, I hear. <laughs> so it's, it's we'll been good. Maybe a low bar, yeah, you, low bar as well. You, <laughs> um, you know, it's been, it's been really good. I mean, again, we suffer from 
good inventory is the biggest thing that we suffer from. Um, obviously, with kind of the residential stuff has sort of affected the development land prices a little bit. But on the on the retail side, the industrial side, uh, multifamily, believe it or not, all that stuff has actually been been really good this past year, and there's a pretty good outlook for this year coming up. Maybe can you talk a little bit more about why? Because multifamily is probably that that seems surprising to me. Can you kind of talk about why that's been so popular? Well, I think up until sort of the NDP sort of announced their their two and a half percent sort of maximum increase on the rental rates, there uh, the vacancy rates were extremely low. Uh, you were getting a lower capitalization rate when you purchased them, but the trade-off is there was pretty much no vacancy in it. Um, so that made it very attractive for everything from, I mean, local buyers to pension funds to large-scale investors to get into it. Um, very low maintenance on a lot of the buildings as well, which also made it really, really good. Um, with the NDP coming out and sort of talking about their 2.5% annually, maximum annual increase on the market there, um, multifamily probably has seen a little bit of a slowdown recently, but I think it's starting to pick back up now because that can probably only play itself out for so long. And the challenge with that is a lot of people who are looking at building purpose-built rentals that probably see a higher than 2.5% increase on their costs every year are now pivoting to look to put them into strata markets or canceling altogether, which is actually shrinking the uh, the rental supply, which should have a good outcome for, for landlords down the road if they don't sort of balance that out. So it's having, sounds like an adverse effect from sure. what the NDP intended. Well, I think... I mean, I think it was a short-term decision they made. And I think you look at from a building standpoint of our building owner, if my costs are are going higher than 2.5% a year, yet I can only, my revenue's capped, I'm getting pressure from rising interest rates slowly, so my debt servicing is falling. It's making it harder and harder and less attractive for a lot of people to buy into that marketplace um, if you haven't been in it for a long period of time. And what they're looking to do from a developer standpoint is they're actually pivoting and they're sort of looking at scrapping the purpose-built rental model they had, going to stratas and potentially selling you know, extremely expensive condos or sh- scrapping it all together and, and re-looking at things, selling the land off. Maybe they're looking at sort of smaller mixed-use development opportunities. So I think when you do that, we already have a, a, an almost no, no vacancy rate as we start that I think the problem you're running into is there's no supply coming in. Coming in. And with no supply coming in, people that want to move can't move. And that creates even more problematic for the renters trying to get into the marketplace and their supply and demand kicks in. And I think eventually your rental rates will probably even go up even higher than they want them to. As people turn over on these buildings, people coming in, there'll be too much demand for it. How about last time we had you on, Corey, uh, we were talking about um, industrial space. That that market was on fire. How yeah. Has that changed or is it still a very active market? Uh, momentum's really good. So if you're looking for something to get into the marketplace with, something that's, that's relatively landlord, less intensive than, say, retail, Industrials were to go. Uh, the challenge with industrial is the zonings have become so much more flexible than what they were 10 years ago that you can get so many other types of businesses to operate in the industrial areas than you could before. Before it was sort of big warehouses and semi trucks, and now you got kind of like the UPS trucks pulling up, picking up the t shirts from the online company. We've seen some areas where some of the small bay industrials actually have law firms or accounting firms in them. So you're getting that competition where they can pay 50 bucks a foot downtown for an A-class building, or they can get into an industrial building for 10 or 15 bucks a foot. Also on top of that, as cities look for rezoning opportunities, creating OCP and housing, industrial typically seems to be one of the easier options for them because you have such large uh, pieces of land that they can take, you mean a 10,000 square foot lot, 
maybe has a 3,000 square foot building on it, employs six to eight people. You might be able to put three to 500 people on there on a resident side of things. And a good example is that if you look at sort of Marine Drive and Canby Corridor, South Kent Avenue, once the SkyTrain station came in, the car lots, the old industrial warehouses, you mean those, there are opportunities for high rises in some of those areas right. that they can, they can create a lot more housing opportunity than jobs. And that sort of dwindles the supply even further. So you're getting a lot of demand on the tenant side because the zonings are opening up to various type of tenant options. The prices is increasing in the office markets. So it makes it more attractive for tenants to take up the less, you mean they don't need the demand or don't need the downtown office space. They can go into the industrial side of it and then the land's getting taken out from under them. So you're mm-hmm. getting pressure from all points, which is making it, you mean, very hard to even buy stuff if you want to invest in the product because there's a long list of investors looking to enter this marketplace, price point and demand that it's continuing to have another good year, probably most likely this year. So, so one of the things we covered last time, we talked about how the commercial market kind of almost mirrors the residential market in a lot of ways. So obviously right now we're looking at downward pressure on pricing in residential. We're looking at low sales ratios. Uh, we're seeing a lot of, you know, obviously the media is talking about the market shifting. What, what's driving the commercial market right now? I think lack of inventory overall. Um, you know, there's no foreign buyers tax on on commercial marketplace. And mainly I think commercial is more of a want housing is kind of like a need Mm -hmm. opportunity. And so there's no foreign buyers tax. And I think people that are looking to invest mainly in the Vancouver address, maybe not so much, whether it's a a condo or a house or an industrial property for them to shift and save, you know, 20% is definitely worth it. Um, obviously, like I said, in the industrial markets, there's huge demand on the tenant side of things. So when you're buying into it, there's very, very low vacancies. So it makes it a lot more attractive for investors to get into that marketplace. What about, what about foreign buyers? I'm just thinking, because I remember when we started this podcast in 2016, I mean, we, the first episode we ever did, we talked about, you know, what makes Vancouver attractive. It's social and political stability. You know, it's a great place to essentially park your money. Like all these things in the global marketplace, it seems like the commercial space is still very much open for business without the Residential Tenancy Act, which is problematic for certain investors as well, right? Definitely. So um, are you seeing, is it still people from all over the world that are investing or is it kind of localized like the residential market? Um, you, you do see people from all over the world that come into it. You mean, I think I think people look at, you mean the capitalization rates, maybe in other places in the world and what you can get here, even as the capitalization rates get lower, they're still a lot higher than some areas, both in North America and, and overseas. So they kind of look at it on that side. Um, no vacancy is very attractive. And right now, whether it's, you mean, office marketplace, retail marketplace, or even industrial, you mean the supply and demand issues kicking in and that's driving up prices. So from an investor standpoint, they can sort of research and they can see lease rates climbing, you know, in 10, sometimes 15% in a year makes it very attractive for them to get in. So I think there's a pretty fair supply of sort of international buyers still buying into the marketplace. Right. And and just thinking back to Adam's question about uh, how the residential market is mirroring uh, the commercial or it was back when we had you on, you know, a year, year and a half ago, whenever that was, um, Richard Whitstock was just on the program uh, and he was talking about all the, the explosion of office space being built downtown uh, and how that bode, bodes well for, for Vancouver. You were really, you talked excitingly about it kind of as we made our way to the mics here. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about downtown and what you're excited for sure. about? Well, there? I think the biggest thing is you're looking at the companies that are coming into the downtown core. And we kind of joke, it's like called like the Amazon effect. So the Amazons are coming in and they're not taking up 10,000 square feet. They're taking up hundreds of thousands of square feet, which puts pressure on the supply issue right away. And then you have companies like Apple coming in, like Apple just took about 60,000 square feet in West Bank's new downtown location. 
um, Microsoft's expanding. You know, I mean, you got all these companies coming in that are taking up the office space. But the biggest thing is they're creating jobs. Right. And these are, are young professionals coming into the marketplace that are very, very well paid, that they can afford to live, they can afford to spend in these downtown marketplaces. And I, I can't think of any market that sort of has this, this boom that we're seeing right now on the Amazons and the Apples of the world ever sort of have a correction or even a pullback because there's too many jobs being created by too many young professionals that make too much money. And these are the guys that can afford to pay five hundred thousand, six hundred thousand, seven hundred thousand for condos. Whether whether it's San Francisco area or Seattle, where these guys have come in, the marketplace has just taken off. If mm-hmm. you look at office space in San Francisco, the average office space per foot for a Class A building in San Francisco last year was over eighty two dollars a foot. We just passed fifty bucks in Vancouver. So when you look at those type of numbers, there's still a lot of areas that we can continue to grow. And I think with the weak Canadian dollar versus the American dollar, the, the training and the education that we have here and the population to pull from, these companies can can put people here at premium rates that are still cheaper than putting them up here than, say, in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And from a lifestyle standpoint, we're cheaper than Silicon Valley. So as crazy as we think it is growing up here and looking at the prices of housing, the guy from San Francisco comes up here and sells his $2 million bachelor pad up there and comes and buys a beautiful thing at Telus Gardens and thinks he's hit the jackpot. So what does that mean then for other industries looking at Vancouver as an option? Because obviously this is driving prices up for everybody, right? So what impact does this have on other local businesses and then also other offices that have to renew their lease or or are looking to be in Vancouver's downtown? Well, the thing is, there's there's no supply to pick from. So you mean, so the absorption rate of the supply that's currently there, that's coming into the marketplace um, is getting taken up. And I think right now, uh, I think there's like a record 1.6 or something like that million square feet currently either under under application process being built or getting ready to deliver between now and 2023 in downtown Vancouver. The absorption rate of that has been huge because you do have the apples of the world taking up 60,000 square feet. You got the post building, which is 1.1 million. I think Amazon's swallowing up like 500,000 or something like that square feet of this space. So th- there's nothing to pick from. So tenants who are currently in the downtown marketplace that need to operate in the downtown marketplace, your leases are coming up and you I mean they're pretty high increases and you, you, there's nowhere else to go. So you're stuck. And if you don't want the space, there's too much demand for the product behind you that someone most likely will come fill it. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at then, I mean, the, the the way that downtown looks in coming years, I mean, will the whole downtown area just look like Alberni Street? You, you know, you could be right. Because the, the thing is, if you look at the mom and pop shops, they're all, they're long gone in the mm-hmm. marketplace. And now you've got all the international brands that have come in. You've got the Nordstrom's that come in and all right. these things. And you're all the... The smaller stores like the Bay, for example, may not have the same success it does now versus maybe what it had 10 years ago because now there's more competition, but also the brands that are carried at some of the other larger, more luxury retailers that are in town. All these young professionals that are working at the Amazons and the Apples of the world, disposable income, downtown lifestyle, these are the guys that have the money to go spend at these stores to buy these type of clothes. And I mean, that's where I think you're going to continue to see more luxury move in more so than we probably already have because A, they can afford to pay the prices, but B, the demand for the products there. Interesting. Interesting. So, you know, in talking to you um, other times, Corey, we've had an interesting conversation about that I'd like to kind of get your thoughts on about the the town centers and, and the condo towers being built up around the town centers. Can you kind of talk about it from the perspective of uh, a commercial realtor? Sure. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, you had an interesting take on it. So every, every major mall or every major mall's parking lot has pretty much become a development site. 
and you're seeing it in the Brentwoods, the metro towns. Uh, Coquitlam Center recently put forward an application with various parties involved for 11 towers. And they're creating these hubs where now you can live, eat, work, shop, all within a very small radius of it. If you have to travel outside of these hubs, they're all built around a SkyTrain stop transit-oriented locations. Right. So you can jump on the SkyTrain and be downtown in 45 minutes and not have to find a parking stall. So they're creating these lifestyle hubs now that are changing totally how we look at retail on a mall standpoint versus what it was, say, 10 years ago. Are you are you excited? I mean, it seems like uh, it's kind of the if you build it, they will come model. Um, are you excited about the completion of a lot of these projects? Yeah, I think it's, you I mean, obviously the online business really changed a lot of the retail and the mall landscape years ago. So malls have been forced to be more creative. And I think the boom in the real estate market, the extension of the SkyTrain stations, um, you mean our overall economy growing, I mean, these mall owners have been forced to have to sort of relook at their malls. And I think now they're creating these hubs that's going to help redefine the retail where they are and also sort of fill that void where uh, the stores that used to compete with the Amazons of the world now, now they're, they're no longer there. These malls were having, some malls were having vacancy issues. This new lifestyle approach, development atmosphere, transit hub oriented places are sort of filling that void and sort of re- recreating and revitalizing the, the, the shopping experience. What, what part of the commercial market is hurting right now? I think if you had to look at anything and it's sort of a, it took a very sort of really, really tiny snapshot. Overall, it's been really successful for a lot of things. Um, obviously, I think if anything in a small window, small window, maybe in the last 12 months or so, uh, we've seen development prices pull off quite a bit. And I think it's because, you know, condo prices have seen a little bit of a slowdown. Uh, buyers are much more educated. Banks are much more educated now versus two or three years ago, if you had a development site with a Vancouver address, you could go spend the money before you listed it, it sold. And now you're having to be a lot more savvy and a lot more creative in the marketing aspects, but also the developers are coming in are being a lot more creative when they're buying it. I mean, there's a lot of red tape in cities like Vancouver to develop, and they're very cost costly to develop these properties that they're trying to get maybe longer uh, closing periods, six, eight year, sometimes two years closings, because that way they can get a lot of their DP and all their red tape done. So by the time they actually physically close on the property, they have a building permit ready to go so they can start digging relatively quickly, which then minimizes a lot of their holding costs. Unfortunately, don't get passed on to the consumer. But again, they they minimize a lot of their holding costs on these properties moving forward. So I think that has, if any sort of sector has seen a pull off, Uh, another challenge has been land money because banks have, have funded so much land, especially in Vancouver, um, over the past sort of three or four years, a lot of their lending portfolios are maxed out where they feel leveraged, they feel exposed, and they're looking to maybe push some money out of the land deals, maybe more into industrial deals or, or, or shopping center developments and not you know, a three-home assembly that might be sitting on the corner of Knight Street that might be two or three years away before you can get the money out. So that sector's probably seen a pull-off, if any, as of late, was probably the one thing. Mm-hmm. So Corey, we've we've heard, you know, you always hear stories of certain cities having challenges with retail space, specifically with malls not getting quite the uh, attention that they that they used to. Well, and also we've had guests on, like Justin Smith comes to mind, where he was he was uh, very bearish on kind of retail moving forward, just right. because of the online shopping explosion, yeah. right? Um, what are your thoughts on retail kind of moving forward, and and how is the retail market? Well, I think if you look at it from kind of like the mall standpoint, you know, I mean, a lot of these enclosed malls, um, one that comes to mind, there's one in Maple Ridge where they've, they've tried to revitalize it a little bit. It's been bought by a major REIT recently, a couple of years ago, and they just haven't had the success in doing that. So, you I mean, I think for those malls to sort of regain momentum, they, they got to be looked at more like development opportunities. And I think in the city of Maple Ridge, you I mean, for the longest time, it was sort of anti-development 
on it. And then recently there's been some fairly large developments that sort of got past first reading and stuff like that, starting to gain momentum. So I think for the malls, maybe in some of the suburban markets that have struggled, for them to really sort of revitalize, they got to look at more of like a development opportunity, trying to bring more housing closer to the mall and creating more of a lifestyle environment versus a shopping environment. That's where I think these some of these places have to go to continue that success. So, so the homes, not parking lots. Correct. Correct. And that's the problem. That's one thing. From a developer standpoint, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of square feet that are just sitting empty with parking stalls on them. So for you to take that stuff and put 300 houses on it, you're almost building a clientele right into that yeah. location for that mall. So the Cactus Club downstairs, I mean, there's, there's 500 people above you that can service you. Right. You mean for shopping centers, you know, it's a pitch for them that they can bring all this housing right there that people are coming down and they're living a lifestyle now surrounded, you know, in the mall atmosphere versus before some of these enclosed malls have struggled. Other companies have taken approach and sort of gone to sort of open air shopping center concepts. Um, Abbotsford High Street, for example, is one that I don't think has had the success they anticipated. But again, trying to sort of put a, a new spin on kind of the enclosed mall and try to make it more of an atmosphere. And I think if you look at you mean the West Edmonton malls of the world or even the Mall of America in the States, they were probably so ahead of their time when they came out. And now you look at them and so many other malls are trying to mimic this lifestyle entertainment type of thing they created on a much smaller scale. And, and that's sort of becoming the new mall, the, right. new, the new mall model. I think that a lot of these developers and owners have to look at to revitalize it because you're, not, you're doing no one any good if you have 25% of your malls empty. Yeah, it's a depressing. There's nothing, nothing worse. Than I wonder what those muffins franchises are selling for right now. <laughs> Nobody eats gluten, and there's no no activity at malls. Well, yeah, yeah. Maybe but, don't get that franchise, Matt. You were, I know you were considering it. That was the one, actually. Yeah, the muffin. Yeah. That's the one under two hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so, Corey, maybe moving on, to talking about uh, the current government. So. Obviously, in the residential sector, we've seen um, a, a real attempt to make housing more affordable by the current government. Whether yeah. it's successful or not, we'll we'll leave that to another episode. How's that impacting? How is the current government impacting the commercial market? Well, you know, this is where your listeners want to do up their seatbelts now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think I think the, the problem I think with just any government coming in is everyone's got sort of a four year window, and you know, the NDP hasn't been in power for for quite some time. And I think they're trying to make – you can't come into a marketplace and try to beat it up all at once. And I think – you I mean, you guys know the residential more than I do. But I think the residential markets themselves can, with some degree, can balance themselves out. You I mean, you're going to have – you have the new stress test that came in that's going to force – put pressure on the market. You have rising interest rates. And I think, honestly, the market has is, is so far gone for a lot of people. I think any government coming in needs to focus more on creating housing for people today and not trying to get – the 25-year-old guy to be able to buy the $7 million house tomorrow. And I think they come in and they sort of created a negative effect overall on the whole real estate industry. And we feel that on our side, people watch the news, everyone makes assumptions. And I think the Vancouver real estate model, you know, 10 years ago was I buy a piece of real estate, I invest, my guy pays my mortgage down. If I sell the house for more 20 years later, I win. And now people look at it if it doesn't double itself in value overnight, then it's broken. Right. And I think that that's a problem. And I think there's been a lot of negative impact the NDP has created through trying to come in and just beat up the overall market. And that definitely has an effect on the, the commercial markets because people see that and they start thinking about jobs and you know, I mean all that stuff. And then landlords start thinking about rents and, and expansions that aren't going to happen that maybe once were going to happen. Um, you know, obviously, the multifamily, it's probably the most impact they've had on a single 
type of industry with respect to the development land. Um, you can't come in and and almost take private sector money and 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 tell them what they can do and can't do with it because eventually what happens is people start looking at it and they start looking at the investments not as, not as attractive as it once was. And I think for any government, you have to have private sector money working with you, not against you. And if you're going to come in and tell me how much I can increase my rents and how much I can't, not even understanding my side of the business and my costs that go, into, go onto my side, then I'm not going to want to play ball with you. And I'm going to eventually go and build overpriced condos and sell those. And that, does, that doesn't do any good for anybody. Um, so I think when they come in and they try to do that stuff, I think it, it creates long-term problematics. And I think what we're seeing now is I was reading a report put out by UDI that said there's about 12,000 purpose-built condos that are either canceled, considered to be canceled, or will be pivoted to stratas, which that's taking supply out of that rental marketplace. And right now, when you have almost no vacancy as it is, you need supply, you need supply fast. And I think instead of them trying to focus on how can we get the 25-year-old kids of today to buy the $17 million Shaughnessy house of tomorrow, let's create housing for these people right away. And if you make it attractive for private sector money to come in and invest with you, then they're going to do that. And eventually over time, if you sort of take restrictions off and make it attractive for people to spend their money in purpose-built and multifamily, you're going to increase supply. And Seattle, I think it was this past year, for the first time in three years since they lifted the rental controls, actually saw a plateau or even a decline in the downtown rental rates. And, so, and they do a lot more purpose-built rental down in, for in sure. Seattle. And it's attractive, right? Yeah. You know, down there, you, you don't have the government, you know, putting their hand in the back pocket and saying, hey, we want you to build and we want you to take millions and millions and millions of dollars and risk it, but we're going to tell you what you can do and you can't do when you're done. And I don't think that works in, in, in any situation, whether it's multifamily with the government or, or anytime you ask anyone to invest their money anywhere. So, so if I understand correctly, short-term kind of gains here or short-term wins, long-term uh, losses because there's the lack of supply. Reminds me of uh, that Chip Wilson line, money likes to be loved, and if you don't love it, it's going to go somewhere else. Well, and, and that's what we're seeing. Like, so there's lots of developers. I know we have some clients that were actually looking into purpose-built rentals, and now they're kind of questioning, do I want to do it? Do I not want to do it? And I mean, the, the price that people are paying to buy multifamily houses, condos, develop these properties, they're not hundreds of thousands of dollars, they're tens of millions of dollars. And just yesterday, New Westminster looked at creating some of the stiffest demo eviction rules that we have. Yeah. I, I, I fully understand, you mean, the concept of the renter that's been there for 10 years and they're paying five or $600 a month. And somebody's going to come in and buy it and renovate the whole thing and charge them 15. And that's going to force these people to move to Abbotsford and probably Abbotsford or Chilliwack and probably uproot their whole lifestyle. Like I get the pressure from that. But at the same point in time, while that's happening, you can't tell some guy who's going to spend $6 million to buy the building, you know, you can only do this with it. Because what he's going to do is he's going to take his money and go somewhere else. Right. And what's going to happen is these places are just going to become decrepit, really, really old, maybe eventually unhabitable years down the road because no one's going to go spend any money to fix them up because I can't recoup it. Well, and not only that, they're not going to build new supply. Well, so it's yeah. so the, the old stock's going to get worse yep. and there's not going to be any new stock coming down the, the pipe. Exactly. And it, it puts so much pressure on the rental market. They make decisions to appease voters today, but they don't look at the problems that we're going to have four, six, eight, ten years down the road. I'm not saying the liberal government's perfect because you I mean every government makes mistakes along the way, but I don't think you can come into a housing market that generated 1.2 of your 1.4 billion dollar surplus and try to throw everything at it right away from speculation tax to 
I mean, the stress test alone from the government, Canadian government on the, on the Charter Ones. But the, the NDP coming in, they're throwing vacancies, all this stuff at the market so fast, and they're just trying to beat it up. And what you're doing is you're eventually going to slow down, slow down your income through property transfer tax. My savings account is going to get smaller as a province, yet I'm going to go build bridges for billions of dollars with my savings account, but I'm not going to charge you for it. Like, I am definitely not a math genius, but that doesn't add up. And <laughs> it's only a matter of time before the decisions they make today are going to affect all of us five years down the road, 10 years down the road. Our kids might even be paying for it for all we know. And you can't have these problems where they're looking at TransLink looking to fund the Patella Bridge, which is all surrounded by NDP voters on both sides of the water, trying to surround the bridge. And they're looking – the last report I saw last year was it was around one point, I don't know, $1.3, $1.4 $1. They come out and they announce they're going to pay for it and they're projecting the budget to go down by $100 million. Yet they're going to create these BC unions and create jobs, which I'm all for, but you got to pay more for those. So I'm going to spend my money I don't have. I'm going to pay more to build it, but I'm going to tell you when it costs less. And then what happens is three or four or five years from now when it comes down and it's $500 million over budget, we're all like, well, everyone can see that coming, right? And you can't sort of govern based on, you know, political areas that vote for you. When you look at the Massey Tunnel, which is probably an area that has so much pressure going on to get people through. Tawasin's a booming market. You talk about good investment opportunities for the commercial markets. Look at the Delta ports. Amazon just took 450,000 square feet of industrial space out there. So once they figure out the Massey tunnel problem, whether they put a new tunnel or they put a bridge in there, I mean, that's an, a pocket market that has that's blowing up faster than we can maintain it. But yet they're, they're spending no money on infrastructure there because no one voted for them. We, you drive down the Steve, you drive down by Steveston. You got you know you got dirt piles ten feet high with weeds on it, and I think that's the problem. Is they're all making sort of short term decisions that are going to affect us all negatively long term unless someone steps in or something happens. Mm-hmm. I often think you know I wonder go, going back two years what would have happened if there was no policy shifts. Yeah, and then we saw the three or four increases to the interest rate and the projections of four or five this year, which doesn't yep. seem to, to be coming to pass. But I, I, that was what everybody was talking about. It's funny, like there wasn't as much discussion about uh, six months ago, say about the BC speculation tax yeah. um, or even the empty homes tax for that matter. Everybody was freaking out about interest rate yeah. increases. And I wonder if, you know, it's not kind of, if they wouldn't have just let it play out if we would be in kind of a very similar situation now um, without kind of these uh, putting your hand on the scale uh, totally. type thing. Or- I, I think the market would have, you mean, the pressure from, you know, the stress test was probably coming regardless. Yeah. And, and I understand why it's there, right? Nobody wants to run into the situation that happened in 2009, 2010 in the States where guys are buying houses three times what they can afford. And I mean, you want to make sure people that are getting in the market today can afford it today, but also can afford it five years from now. So as much as we don't like the stress test, it's there to protect us all. Yeah. But I think, I mean, if the end, if the, the liberals remained in power, interest rates were going to rise, the stress test was going to come out. I mean, the market, I think, would have some level of plateauing, just sort of cannibalizing itself a little bit on that yeah. level. Well, well, you, you actually brought up... Uh Presale development, and maybe it will remain nameless. But I mean, just to spell out exactly what the the impact of the stress tests on yeah. are for some people. Like, can you talk about that? Because that was kind of a yeah. I was I was told that there's there's a, a, a development going on and it's being done in phases. And the, the the phase that's coming to market or coming to completion now, ready for delivery. A lot of the a lot of the places in that development were all bought sort of pre stress tests. 
And I think a lot of people that bought into that development were probably A, dependent on the equity in their house at that time. And B, they probably talked to their banks, you mean, a year and a half, two years earlier, like, hey, can I afford this? Stress test comes in, market sort of has a little bit of a decline, equity starts to evaporate a little bit. And I was told about 50% of the people in the current phase, which is you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 people, all are running into problems. And we've seen the developer's signs pop up on some property that were once purchased by somebody else. And these people aren't putting down $50,000 deposits. These people are putting down quarter of a million dollar deposits to get right. into this marketplace. And these are single family homes. Single family homes. So, I mean, and we've talked about kind of uh, assignments and pre-sales before on the show, but it, these are kind of regular folks trying to move up in the market that 100%, got caught 100%. Uh, with the changing goalposts and and just wiped out. Totally. And that's potentially where Potentially all the money they had. Well, yeah, this could be life savings, right? <laughs> yeah. this, this could be major setbacks. There's a whole bunch of stuff. And that's why I think the new, any governments in play has to look at the housing market differently. And like I said, no one's jumping into the market in the in the Shaughnessy marketplace if it goes from 7 million to 6.8 no one's jumping up and down saying hey babe grab your checkbook we're in like that that market is gone i think they have to focus on a stepping stone marketplace where what's going to happen is our kids growing up they're going to eventually probably have to rent places and they'll rent places for a couple of years then they'll buy a condo and then they'll they'll buy a, then they'll buy a townhouse and maybe a small house and then maybe they get a big house but it's a stepping stone marketplace right. and and these these developments where these people are buying one and a half, two, two and a half, three million dollar houses, as crazy as it sounds, are are thirty five, four thousand square foot houses. You know, they're not mansions that are fifteen thousand square feet that you would think for these prices. That you're you're setting someone back 10, 15, 20 years. And I think when you look at the debt ratios of BC, you know, I mean, we have a lot of debt because a lot of people have used their house as an ATM machine over the past few years. That you can't get into a position that enough equity gets wiped out, the banks start coming calling, taking lines of credit, wanting additional security. I mean, all that stuff comes into the marketplace. And I think another thing that from the homeowner standpoint is they got to look at 2019, 2020, you're getting kind of your first batch of the historically low five-year fixed mortgages all coming due. Mm -hmm. And now you got, you know, if people have credit changes in their lifestyle, maybe their life's changed, they've married, they're single, all this stuff, they they don't qualify to go back to their own bank. Now these people are going to be forced to go through the stress test if they have to go somewhere else for it, whether it be Charter One or the coast capitals of the world that you might find some people can't even afford to buy their house back. So on that sentiment, Corey, uh, maybe we should move on to predictions for 2019 uh, and maybe the three to five year projections on on the commercial side. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Well, I think overall, you I mean, I think you're seeing the population move further and further out. And we're seeing areas like New Westminster that maybe five years ago was completely forgotten about and almost a city of nowhere. And now it's becoming the center of everything. Mm-hmm. And I think you're looking at when proactive councils get in that they understand and they sort of forecast what's coming down the pipe and they sort of make it developer friendly, they're starting to create, they attract developers, developers build houses, houses bring in people that creates jobs and jobs are what drives the commercial real estate markets. So I think areas like, if you look at things like new Westminster, um, Tawasson, we talked about the Massey, the Massey bridge or tunnel when that gets sorted out Abbotsford, you know, you look at Abbotsford housing prices was up at 30% two years ago or something like that. So, if it was my money, I, I definitely would look into places like Maple Ridge, you know, Mission, Abbotsford, all these sort of suburban markets that maybe weren't on the radar before, but now the population is growing and growing and growing. And the reality is I think a lot of the younger population coming through may not have the financial resources to live in Vancouver or Burnaby. 
they want to move out and now they're, they grew up in Coquitlam, but they're moving out to Maple Ridge or they're moving out to Abbotsford. So you're going to get a big influx in the coming years. So if you get a, a good footprint in some of these marketplaces now and you can get some of the mortgages paid down now, five, 10 years down the road, when you start to see increases on your rents, your cap rates start going up, demand starts coming in to keep relatively low vacancies down the road. So that's where you'd be looking for the mom and pop investors 100%. potentially thinking to 100%. get into the... And and a lot of people, space. Corey, think that commercial space is is you know millions of dollars, and in many cases, yeah. you know they're right. But what about like a starting price point in some of these markets you've just identified? Yeah, so if you look at the industrials, which again are very 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 brainless to invest in because it, they don't take a lot of commercial education to get in. They're they're literally four tilt up walls and a door. And a lot of people who are renting the industrial markets, they're not they're not paying top dollar to be on a corner or in a location. They're looking for parking and access to access to highways and stuff. So, you know, you go out to the missions and you know Maple Ridge and Abbotsford, and you can find like good industrial units that that have high demand on the rental side, very very low impact on the landlord side, for three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars. And they're, and they're and they're great entry points. They're they're not gonna they're not gonna break the bank by any stretch of the imagination, but you're also not as a landlord gonna have to know what you're doing in commercial versus if you go into retail, and tenants start wanting you know tenant improvement allowances from you, and you're having to improve drawings with engineers and you know, all that stuff. So you're getting more mom and pop investors that are buying them, and you're getting mom and pop businesses that are there that sort of cooperate and work together, and it sort of creates a, a positive outcome for everybody. What about financing for people considering commercial real estate? See, a lot of people that, that go into it for the first time, they look at what they had to put down to buy a house, for example. And, and that's a little bit different because you have insurers and CHMC and all that stuff that are there to sort of help you get you into those marketplaces. When you look at commercial on an investment side, a lot of banks want to see the property pretty much cash flow itself. So they look at the lease rates the building has coming in and they'll run some quick numbers and they typically will create a down payment very similar to what it can afford to pay for itself before they have to sort of rely on you. And we're seeing things, you know, 20, 25% on the investment side is probably on the lower end, unless you have, you know, other property that you're willing to put up as collateral inter alia up to 35 to 40% sometimes. And, and I think sometimes when people look at opportunities where there's, you mean, maybe it's been owned by a family for a long time, lease rates are relatively low. The opportunity of the increased rent is there once that lease expires, but the bank doesn't look at it that way. They don't right. look at the potential. They look at it as, well, how much can a debt service today and yes, we agree there is potential, but you got to get there. So the bank will offset that by asking for a larger down payment now, which, you know, if you have the money to do it, do it. And then two or three years down the road, you can refinance it once new lease rates get in place and then take that money back out. And and the last question for you here, Corey, on, on pricing over the next year, two, three years, what are you seeing in... Uh in commercial? Well, I think, I mean, if you're looking at buying into the marketplace, whether an investor or an end user, I mean, there's not a lot of supply to get into. And when you're looking at rising lease rates pretty much across the board, whether they're offices or industrial or retail, I mean, that drives up the income. The income drives up the price. So I think you're going to continue to see prices in the commercial real estate. I mean, especially in the suburban markets, I think those are going to continue to go up. Um, I think if you if you get in at the right if you get into the right asset class at the right time, there's probably a really good wave out there for you. If you have short term short term thoughts of it, I, I think you're not going to make you know you're not going to get rich overnight buying into it like you may have done in the housing market or some of the other markets a couple of years ago. So I think you have to have a long term a long term outlook. But I think there's going to be a lot of really good opportunities out there. I think for some of the bigger assets out there that maybe some people had bought, you I mean probably weren't the smartest purchases. They have really high interest rates on property. Sometimes they have interest-only deals on properties. Um, when the market went up, everyone's a developer. 
I mean, they buy the property, it goes up, doubles in value. It wasn't the market, it was them. So I think guys like that that got in at the wrong time, some of those guys might get pinched. So if you're maybe in a little bit of a higher higher income bracket, you can afford something a little bit bigger. There could be some opportunities on some, some larger scale assets on that side. And, and you guys uh, in the commercial space, you work with buyers, you know, essentially like buyers agents on the residential side? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It works, works very, very similar. The biggest thing when you're getting into commercial, and we see this happen all the time, and it's unfortunate, is we do see sort of residential guys that will come in with a client, whether it's on a tenant side of things or it's on a purchase side of things, and, and just not really know what they're doing. And you know, we're we're here to educate them as much as we are, but we'll help them the best we can, but we can't do their work for them. And when that starts happening, that's where you start running into problems on the purchaser side because maybe they're not getting the best deal out there. It'd be no different than me trying to yeah. take a guy through a condo. Like I'm not going to do a very good job and he's probably going to pay too much. Yeah, and we got to echo that. You you got to use a commercial agent. If it, you're it, it's commercial insane. It's insane to use a residential <laughs> realtor if, if I, you're looking at different worlds. If I can share a story and I won't use names, we had a residential guy work with a, a junior guy in one of our offices on a leasing transaction. And he wrote an offer that was unconditional offer coming in, which never happens. Wow. Never happens. And I looked at the offer and the agent brought it to me. And, and he's a junior, so he's you know, we're guiding him through and – he goes, Corey, I haven't been here very long, but this isn't right. And I looked at it and we called the other agent and we sort of explained to him very politely that we owe you a duty of care and we're not going to put you in a bad situation. We're not going to put your client in a bad situation. We signed this, your client's not looking too good. So we ended up having to rewrite the whole offer, send it back to him, have him go review it with his client, resubmit it. And he was more interested in telling us in his five, six, seven years how he did three or four commercial transactions that he knows what he's talking about and took it very personally, which was not our intention. And I'm thinking we probably did that many deals before lunchtime. Right. And, 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 and if we didn't put his client's best interest in hand, that client would have been in a horrible situation, would have probably paid thousands, tens of thousands of dollars more than they should have. And that's just an example of, of, of how people should have the right people do the right things. Yeah. Again, no no different than us trying to tackle the residential world, right? I'll go sell a guy a house with an oil tank and have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, or where the opportunities are. I mean, yeah. talking to you, one of the exciting things about having you on the show is to is to hear where you see the opportunities. Yeah, no, I think I think valley driven markets. I mean, there, there's a lot of lot of interest out there. There's a lot of developers that are buying land out there. So, you know, we follow the development markets obviously very very closely. And when major developers that before would not even touch Abbotsford are now buying in Abbotsford. The time will come. It won't happen tomorrow. But over the next three, five, ten years, I mean, these markets are going to blossom and they're going to be really good. So if you can get into them now, as those people come in, that's going to drive you know commercial real estate markets and that's going to drive retail rates and industrial rates because jobs will be created. And you know, if you have a tenant paying you twenty bucks now, it may not be uncommon for them to pay you know thirty, forty dollars, five, ten years down the road as the population continues to grow. Right. Well, maybe we'll leave it there. But Corey, we've got this segment called the Five Wire. Can I think you, I think you've you've done you've it before. Maybe done it again. I, I think but... I botched it before. Is oh. what you should be saying. <laughs> well, it's a redo. It's okay. a redo. Can you stick around for that? Yes, one hundred percent. Okay. So, first question: What is your favorite neighborhood in Vancouver? I'm very partial to Yelltown, so I'm going to stay that. Where first office was there. Um, I lived there for a few years. Um, so did yeah. you bartend there? Or no, did you no, bounce? no, you no. managed. No, you no, didn't I, you run restaurants before? Yeah, they were they were Fraser Valley area and oh, stuff okay. like that. Nothing okay. in the Yelltown, but I, I'm I'm partial to Yelltown. Just that's where our first office did was. Did you bounce there? Did you bounce? I mean, Corey's <laughs> good bounce. Yeah. Tough looking guy. Yeah, no, unfortunately, I don't think anyone wanted. I'm more of a lover than a fighter. <laughs> you, your secret move was the bear hug. <laughs> 
Favorite bar or restaurant? I like Cardero's. Cardero's in Cole Harbor. I think it, it's consistent. I mean, they got a, it's, it's, it's great location. I mean, you're not going to have to chop your ankle off to, to, you know, to pay your bill at the end of the night. You, you know what you're getting, right? right. And, you, and you can get in. You can yeah. get in sometimes. Yeah. It's, it's probably the best. Very good answer. We've never had Cardero's. We have not. Downtown Penthouse or Westside Mansion? I think last time my answer was Downtown Penthouse, I think, so I'm going to have to go with Westside Mansion now. <laughs> Can I have both? A lot has <laughs> changed. <laughs> Place you bring someone from out of town, first place. I'm not to say the aquarium, only because my youngest or my oldest guy loves it there, so we we go there more often than not. So so I think they know us by name. I had a membership there. I uh, still do. Oh, yeah. I still okay. I still do. Yeah, still have a membership wow. there. They're in Science World. Right on. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And last question, Corey. Uh, what have you bought? <laughs> <laughs> for because your answer, the listeners are going to have to go back and check out Corey's last. I hope visit. they don't. It's a it's a great answer. But what is the last thing you've bought for under five hundred dollars that had a major impact on your life? And it could be anything—a gadget, an album. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say this black tie that I bought, knowing coming to see you guys. <laughs> it's usually I'm in sweatpants and t-shirts, but for you guys, I had to pull out all the duds today. Hey. So I think it's the black tie. And just just for the record, that if they heard me last time, I struggled to think of what I bought under two hundred dollars. I probably sounded some like rich pompous or something like that. Like I would have had the, I would have I would have I would have changed podcast quickly listening to this guy. Um, this tie was far less than five hundred dollars. Far less than five hundred dollars. Four ninety nine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You look like you're going to a party at the Great Gatsby. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like I said, this is this is for you guys. No, you look amazing. Like I, I was mean, in, I was literally in t-shirts and a short or shorts and a t-shirt before I got in here. I changed in the alleyway. Well, you guys are in suits. I feel like a real. I, sh- I didn't get the memo. See, I'm here to impress you. You're not here to impress oh, me. This is on. I'm on your show, right? So, <laughs> well, you know what we should say before we go uh, go back to listen to the Five Wire for sure, but also. If you are interested in commercial real estate and you're just at the beginning stages, last time we kind of did more of a beginner intro guide to commercial sure. real estate, yeah. which would be useful, a useful primer for, sure. for some people listening, I think. And uh, Corey, how can people find out more about William Wright Commercial Real Estate Services and uh, your team? Sure. They can they can go to our website, which is williamwright.ca, um, or they can visit any of our offices. We have an office downtown at the corner of Robson and Seymour. We have an office in New Westminster on 7th, and then we have one in Langley that services the Fraser Valley just off 200th. So if they go to our website, they can get all of locations, everyone's contacts there, and uh, we'd love to help anyone we can. For sure. And we will mention as well, you guys have some great guides. So if people want to get in touch, uh, we're going to have some great guides that we can send people out as for well. Sure. Just yep. sign up and uh, make a note of that. Yep, for sure. We'll definitely help you out. Thank you very much again for your time, Corey. Great. Thanks, guys, for having me. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Corey Wright from William Wright Commercial Real Estate Services. Always great having Corey on the program. And uh, man, it was a lot of fun having him in the studio. We had a ton of laughs. Which you know is what? Great. Yeah. Corey's one of those guys where you walk away from the conversation, uh, you know, with tons of information and, and a lot of knowledge imparted, but he's a funny guy. He's a funny guy and maybe the best dressed in the business. He's, you know what? That's not even an understatement. No, it's not. It's He it's, was in uh, a three-piece he was it a four piece. There was there was so many pieces. I think we lost count. But uh, it was whatever it is. It it looked good. Yeah, he looked like the Great Gatsby uh, entered the studio. There. He did. He did. Uh, anything else about how Corey looked, or can we move on? <laughs> good lord, he looked good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Anyways, what else do we got? We got PCS. We got pictures of Corey. Head <laughs> over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, where we got private client services, your real estate research tool. Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. It's basically realtor-level information at your fingertips, and it's free. Sign up at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, private client services, and we'll get in touch. Absolutely. And one thing we should say about that, because we've been talking a lot about how useful it is for people uh, that are interested in buying right now. But if you're thinking about selling and it is February, end of February right now, you want to get on PCS to know exactly what's going on in your local market. Absolutely. And we can also run a comparative market analysis for you, pricing strategy, marketing strategy. We'd love to help you list your place. So do get in touch. And Matt, how can people get in touch? Get in touch 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And you, Adam? Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And we also got that secret screen line. Info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. It's almost like listening to the Unforgiven outtakes. That voice is just it's terrifying. <laughs> but who's the guy that uh, from the Big Lebowski? No, it's like listening to Sam Elliott. Is that oh, Sam name? Elliott. Yeah, Sam Elliott. Elliott. Anyways, have a great week, guys. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. <laughs> That should be the whole inside joke of this whole thing. It's just like constantly alluding to how how wealthy Corey is and what bums we are. This, this is it's like my dad's suit I just borrowed from the show today. <laughs> oh, okay, so we're here with Corey Wright from William Wright Commercial Real Estate Services, past guest, fan favorite. How you doing, Will? Good, good. Thanks so much for coming. William. I gotta start that again. I gotta start that again. Thanks for coming. It's it's my podcast now. Yeah, I bought the podcast on the way in. What was the last thing you bought for under five hundred dollars? This podcast, Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. You're like, I think I overpaid. <laughs> Immediately, I was upset with the yeah. 25 bucks I gave them. Yeah. <laughs> but those guys, those guys are excited. <laughs> yeah, you just hear us driving away on our bikes. <laughs> hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just you know, realizing how simple 
life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Konkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. 